I'm just reminded I'd promised to take my young ward, Dick Grayson, fishing, if you'll excuse me. There's a problem. Better let us handle this. I don't know who he is behind that mask of his, but I do know when we need him. It's we need him now. Biff Bam Pow, let's take a trip down to the Batcave for Batman Land. Let's go! A weekly discussion of the 1966 Batman TV show. Each week we're joined by a guest where we discuss the Batman episodes that aired this week on SBS Viceland. Now when I'm not patrolling the streets at night, I'm Dan Barrett, billionaire playboy and a digital editor at SBS, joined, as I have been the last three weeks, by my own personal boy wonder, Nick Bassine. Uh, you know, at first I... I was very uncomfortable with being um, the boy wonder, especially the personal boy wonder. My very personal, special little boy wonder. But I've, I've grown to accept it, and I'm here trying to have a good time. That's what we're all about, man. That's what it's all about. Joining us for a very good time, Ryan Griffin. Uh, Ryan, how are you doing? I think so. I'm doing well. Uh, excited to be here. Welcome to the Batcave. Now, people probably don't know Ryan Griffin by name yet, although some people do. You're an emerging name. I think people are starting to, you know, learn the Ryan Griffin brand around the place. Yeah. Um, uh, but you're, you're responsible for a little TV show called Clever Man. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. There's, a, there's an AFL player with the exact same name and spelling. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I think my goal is to, you know, out-Google him. Yeah, yeah. You know. And I mean, physically, I'm sure that you're very similar to this other Ryan Griffin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. skill set, exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> Does he have a big bushy beard as well? Uh, that's that's what he's he's lacking. Okay, you know. yeah, one day he'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep setting the good example. Uh, but you are responsible for Clever Man, uh, which has Australia's first uh, Indigenous superhero, or at least that's how it's built. That's not really quite true, but... Yeah, yeah. no, um, look, I think it, it's probably the first one that's been created by an Aboriginal person and is steeped in, in culture yeah, uh, more than any of the others, really. Yeah, most of them are weird, obscure Marvel characters. Yeah. But it's just some guy in New York who Did a quick Wikipedia it. of yeah, exactly. Aboriginal <laughs> people in Australia and, and put that in their characters. So, um, you know, yeah, de- like you said, it's definitely not the first um, and hopefully it's not the last. Yeah. But no, it's good. If people haven't checked out Clever Man yet, like, do so, like, it's great. The second season starts on s- Oh, it's, it's already started. It? It's already started. Oh. So we're on ABC iView, um, and then we're in the, the States on um, on Sundance TV over there. Yeah, and I'm sure it's all on, like, iTunes. And, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. First season's on DVD as well? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and both are available on iTunes. Yeah, cool. I thought I'd seen it about in the... On a DVD store, the yeah, ones I've yeah. been in there of late. How are people responding to the new series? Um, yeah, really good. Like I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a lot more happier with it this season than I am the first. I think um, the story structure is a lot, lot better. You know, like we get to, we get to set up the world in the first season um, and set up, you know, the superhero. This time we just get to play, in the, play with all the characters. Nice. Yeah, it's all payoff now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, you're a huge Batman fan, which is really why I've got you here. Yeah. But we'll talk about that in just a moment. We're going to discuss the programs first. Two episodes this week. We're looking at The Joker is Wild and Batman is Riled. Uh, these episodes aired on January 26, 1966 and January 27, 1966. Nick Bassane, do you want to kick us off with a bit of a synopsis as to what we witnessed here? Well, a lot of people tune in for my synopsis of these episodes. It's kind of the, it's the main draw card. So it appears that um, the Joker escapes uh, from prison via a, um, a springboard. He's just kind of launched into the air and I... I assume he there's a helicopter or he just lands on the ground. Put in a net, they said. Oh, was it a net? <laughs> yeah, that's how they, they, they found... The only thing they found outside the wall was that. Okay, net. good. Because right. he was in the middle of a very large prison baseball um, area. Yes. Like, how high was he sprung from the spring? The, 
the spring looked very large. It looked like it would have launched him <laughs> really high. And I'd imagine precision wasn't particularly huge for that either. Like, you'd have to make no. sure that's a very wide net. I'm assuming both his legs would have been broken, to be honest. <laughs> that's best case scenario, dude. <laughs> also, it's a minor point, but the, the cop said that he, they were watching baseball, but they were, they were playing softball. I mean, the ball is very large and Look, they're throwing pitching underhand. That's softball. That's a fair point, but you're saying the cop. This is one of Gotham's top cops. This is Chief O'Hara. Thank you was very it, much. He would know. Was it Chief O'Hara that's in the prison audience? Yeah, he's sitting yeah, in the yeah, crowd. Is that him? All right. Yeah. Well, I'll get to him later. Well, he's <laughs> he's got to step up his game. He's a terrible cop. He's terrible. <laughs> well, look, it's Chief O'Hara proving he's not a desk-bound bureaucrat, which I think is important. Yeah, yeah he, no, gets he gets out, out there. there sure. He does the work. But it got me thinking, do you think he's like not a desk-bound bureaucrat, but maybe he doesn't even have a desk? Because you always see him in Commissioner Gordon's office. He's pottering around. We don't know he has his own office. And then I took the thought further. What if he's not actually even a police officer, but rather everyone's just humouring him? (laughs) That seems to be the most likely scenario because he's not good at his job. Every time (laughs) Commissioner Gordon says, hey, can you guys handle this? I mean, it's another bad guy. And uh, right away, nah, I can't do it. just cut his paycheck and there's no one's (laughs) had the heart to tell him yet. And he just wanders around aimlessly around. He doesn't want to tell his wife. (laughs) So he goes to work each day with a uniform. All right. So after Joker is uh, literally sprung, he tries to steal some jewels, but he's foiled by Batman's utility belt. This is the end of your evil career. So he decides to get his own utility belt. Never again will Batman have the advantage over me with that utility belt of his. No, never again will that ghastly girdle thwart my plans. For I, the clown prince of crime, have found the answer to it. What is it, Joker? My own utility belt. Hey, terrific. Can I try it? Hands off, you fool. Which is just... It's just master criminal at work. Uh, they go back and forth a bit. There's a failed plan to capture the Joker at the opera where he's wearing the same Pagliacci mask that Heath Ledger wears. In the Dark Knight. In the Dark Knight, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, then Joker threatens to behead Batman on television. <laughs> it's a beheading on a children's show. Um, but they, uh, Batman and Robin were faking, being unconscious. They had taken pills to prevent themselves from being paralyzed. And then they beat the hell out of the Joker and his henchmen and send them back to prison. Do you think the Joker took those pills to stop him from being paralyzed when he got sprung in the prison? He would have needed <laughs> something. He yeah. had a net. That's all that matters. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing but net. This is the episode where you get a good look at Cesar Romero, and they do quite a few close-ups, and you can clearly see that he's wearing something over his mustache, or they've just painted over they the just mustache. Painted over. Yeah, he refused, he refused to shave it. Yeah, that's pretty nuts. It's amazing. I actually, I mean, I hadn't really considered it until I watched it for this episode. I really like the fact that I've just painted over him because it really makes it seem like he's really just this unhinged, crazy guy. Yeah, it's a crazy move. You don't know what he's doing. Like, he is really shaggy. He's a bit all over the place. It's not the dapper portrayal of the Joker that I really thought it was before I watched the show. Yeah, yeah, and he gesticulates wildly and his hair keeps going all over the place. Yeah, like he is a madman. Yeah. Yeah, if anything, I find him more creepy in this than any other portrayal of the Joker anywhere else. I don't know, I just well, started looking that, at him. He's you know, That was a big out. thing for him. Like, you have a look at the, the entire series. The writers really lent away from, from the Joker. He became, like, you know, third string to, you know, the Penguin and, and Riddler, you know. Mm. But you have an actor who wanted to have that truth of what the Joker was 
in this world that isn't written for that darkness. Why do you think they pushed away from the Joker so much? Because he's one of those iconic Batman villains, and I'm sure certainly was when the show began. I just think it, it, it leans on how, how dark Caesar wanted to really portray this character. Like, I, I think Caesar's laugh is probably the probably number two for me in the, in the, in the Joker laughs. Like, it, What's number one? Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill's oh, an animated series. An animated yeah, yeah, series, right. yeah. Um, but I think f- for me, that there is just this... There, like you said, there is a, a, a scariness to him. I think the fact that he still has his moustache on and when they get close, um, there is a an underlying darkness to that character. And, and and in this world that's a lot lighter in the Batman world, is hard to fit in. Yeah, I mean, you look at the other actors we've seen so far. So Frank Gorshin played the Riddler very loud, very bombastically, like he's a large cartoon come to life. And then we've got episode two, which had... Who was it? The Penguin. Penguin. And the Penguin, again, that was a very sort of broad characterization as well. But this one, there was something really earthy and grounded about what Cesar Romero was doing, which is ridiculous considering how he looks and, you know, what he's yeah. doing in the show. But there's something there. I was um, surprised at how it, how much Jack Nicholson's character seemed to borrow from from his. Is that unfair? You think so? I, th- I thought Jack Nicholson was a lot more polished and a bit more refined than... But the um, saying something and then the maniacal laughter right afterwards, Jack Jack Nicholson does a little bit of that. I think you can look at both of their, their body movements is probably a good one yeah, to look yeah, at. Yeah, I was thinking that They kind of too. both have that jolt to them, uh, almost like robotic-like. But absolutely, I think there's something that he's obviously going to lean on because that's the first portrayal, you know? Like I think right. anyone who plays a joke from now, they'll go through and look at every Joker that's ever been played and will take the, the moments that they feel is right. Do you think Jared Leto's Joker relies heavily on Heath Ledger's? I think that he tried to push it as so much further than, you know, because everyone's kind of made that the iconic Joker, um, you know, especially in, in live action anyway. Um, I think Jared's tried to create something that is, is uniquely his. Mm-hmm. You know, it's such a hard role to, to trump um, you know, post, you know, not only the series, but after, obviously after his death and everything to, to make sure that yours is different. I don't know if it's, it's, he's lent on it as much as maybe he could have. Okay. Yeah. Now there was something I really liked at the beginning of this episode, which seemed almost like a callback or maybe a ripoff from what we saw last week when episode three and four had the opening with Dick learning French. And then suddenly Batman chastises yeah. him saying that, you know, uh, it would be good if everyone learned, you know, all languages because that would eliminate war. Uh, we've got something very similar here where Dick is upset that he's being forced to learn the piano. Was it Chopin? Chopin, yeah. yeah. And he was advised or uh, well, chastised again by Bruce saying that all music is important, Dick. It's, it's a universal, universal language. language. One of our best hopes for the eventual realization of the brotherhood of man. Gosh, Bruce, yes, you're right. I'll practice harder from now on. Yes, <laughs> I mean, that was going to be my lesson for the for the episode. It's very, it's a very important lesson to learn. Oh, look, very much so. Why does Dick hate learning stuff so much? <laughs> he just hates it every episode, and it's all normal stuff. It's not weird. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that jumped out at me was when they went to the Gotham Museum of Modern Art. There was the Comedian's Hall of Fame, which the Joker was yeah. upset at because he wasn't <laughs> included in there as part right. of the exhibit. Sure, that's going on, but Commissioner Gordon didn't know anything about the museum didn't know about the Joker's connection to the museum. Does he not read the newspaper? Um, is he getting all his news from Chief O'Hara? Well, my, my theory about Commissioner Gordon is that either the actor or he himself is constantly asleep because every time he picks up the phone, every time we cut to him, it's like he's just waking up. It's always... 
<laughs> Batman. Uh, it's very funny. I actually love Neil Stafford, who plays Commissioner Gordon. To me, when I think about Commissioner Gordon, it's always coming back to his performance. The Joker sprung from the pen. Right under our noses, Commissioner. He got clean away. Well, get back as fast as you can, Chief O'Hara. In the meantime, if it is the Joker that we're up against, that clown prince of crime, there's only one man who can handle this. I don't have to tell you who. Uh, I liked when the Batmobile pulled up in front of the museum. There was the sign out saying no parking. As a yes. bit of a, That's an amazing thing. That yeah. was great. <laughs> and Batman, who's rushing in, he suddenly sees the sign and so civically minded goes back to the Batmobile and he's about to drive it away and find somewhere <laughs> else to park. To and the cop says, it's, it's cool, Batman. Yeah. Don't worry about it. <laughs> also, I think that's the first non-white character I've seen on the show. Oh, the really? Cop. Yeah, the cop's a black cop. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. This is a pioneering episode. <laughs> Apparently. It seems very well, easy. Well, Batman couldn't have done what he did if that black guy didn't pick up that sign. So That's right. That's true. Know, he's doing a better job than, than Dick's doing. Yeah. <laughs> Get your act together, Dick. He's pretty much the only cop in Gotham who actually seems like he's doing a progressive, active job of actually Yeah, policing. Yeah, that's true. He's, <laughs> Commissioner Gordon should definitely hire that guy to do something else. Yeah, if it was Chief O'Hara, he'd be scratching his head as like, I just don't know what to do, Batman. Don't know what to do. The teen, when they pull up, I think it's at the museum, the teen girls cheering for Robin? For the boy Wonder. Yeah, boy How, Wonder. What kind of a... The reality around that is a little bit confusing. That just happens wherever he goes. <laughs> and there's absolutely no reaction from here. That didn't even yeah, cut to a shot of just, him. He's just like, just again? <laughs> Come on, ladies. Oh, Again, so, I don't want to keep on bashing Chief O'Hara because he's an amazing man. Yes. But... There was a scene where Bruce and Dick are in there as Bruce is the largest shareholder for whatever the boating operations are. But anyway, they're in Commissioner Gordon's office. Which oh, is, yes, that's yeah, right, that's right. They've got that happening. And then, like, when they leave because, you know, the joke is up to stuff and they can't do anything, Chief O'Hara starts ripping into him and he's criticising Bruce Wayne of not wanting to do anything. When What has Chief O'Hara done now in six yeah. episodes? <laughs> he's got some nerve. <laughs> not a single thing. Unbelievable, that guy. Um, we can all agree the Joker's got an amazing opera voice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When Great he's on singer. stage as Pagliacci, like, that dude carries a note. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, there was much fewer um, bams and pows in this episode when, during the fight scenes. What was going on? I'm not sure, but in absolute fairness to the people who make the show and to Batman and Robin themselves... There's only so much that they can give. People expect too much of them. Indeed. And, I mean, look, you can say that to little Harold who's kneeling by his bed saying his prayers. <laughs> but in fairness, we ask too much. This was also the first time we hear them say, same bat time, same bat channel. It doesn't say that on the screen. It just says, same time, same channel. But the, the narrator says, bat time, bat channel. Which yeah, is yeah. exciting. Um, in previous episodes, did we see the Biffs and the Powers on screen? Yeah, yeah. That way? We lots, did. Of, lots of them. And yeah. in this one, there are only a couple. Because it, it felt fresh to me for some reason, but maybe I was drinking the other two weeks we did this. I think there's, there was less fighting in this than usual episodes, though. Like, it was very yeah. very story-driven compared to how they <laughs> usually do sort of things. And and they, they lent on a lot of the... Um, you know Batman's detective work, if that's what you call it. His his level of deduction is next level, really, in in this series. But there was that really cool special effect they had, where there was obviously wire work going on. But it was when Batman threw the batarang in the TV studio and he's hoisting himself Climbed up. up that rope. Like it was kind of a cool camera shot, and you actually see him sort of go up. I have trouble believing that Batman's got that level of upper body strength to be able to do what he did there. But it was kind of cool to see. 
There's a moment where uh, Burt Ward is climbing up a rope, and I think he's doing it for real and looks good. He looks strong. Oh, like at the beginning? Oh, like when they're going up the side of the building? Or? No, before that. It's to get up a smaller, a smaller thing. I forget the exact moment. I was very impressed. I was kind of uh, taken when they were about to climb up the side of the building and you actually see the amount of time that they spent watching Adam West pull out like the batarang and then like rope it and get ready to throw it. In any other TV show, that just cut to, you know, him throwing it and going up the building. But 30 seconds they spent just watching him like take this thing out of his utility belts on a rope. But that's it. But again, that's kind of, that's what I mean by the, the storytelling in this. Like it was all about the belt. Yeah. So they had, yeah, to, yeah. They had to show that's right, that's how right. important this thing is. <laughs> Who knew belts wielded so much power? Uh, I think the pacing of this show in general is very, um, I mean, there's... Luxurious? Yes. <laughs> they, they, they like a lingering shot. Now, there was an actor in it that really stood out at me, and I was looking at him, and he just didn't quite feel right for the rest of the show. And it was this guy named Jerry Dunphy. Now, I did some research on him, because I'm like, maybe this is actually like a real news guy. So the guy that was like the newscaster, and he's actually like a real-life TV anchorman, uh, Californian-based. He spent most of his life as a TV anchor reading the news. He apparently pioneered the three-hour news format, whatever that might be exactly. Well, in real life? In real life. So yeah. he's like a real-life news guy. Oh. Okay, but I started doing some further research on him. Apparently, the Mary Tyler Moore show—you've got the great character Ted Baxter. This guy is the inspiration for Ted Baxter. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. So Ted McKnight, when he was initially looking at newscasters to like create his performance as Ted Baxter, he was looking at Jerry Dunphy and this other guy and sort of merged them both together. And apparently, Jerry Dunphy hated it. He was not impressed at all with the fact that it was a clear inspiration for the what? Ted Baxter character. Did you? recognize this person? What prompted you to look into this? He just carried himself differently to most actors on the show. So I thought maybe he was like a real news guy. And you looked into it. And he it. was. This is real Batman level this detection, is, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, if only Batman had access to Wikipedia. Exactly. If only. Wow. Good work. Look, it's all about going beneath the tights. Isn't that what we do here? Speaking of beneath the tights, on the last episode, you wouldn't know this, Ryan, but um, we discussed some of the dick tape that Burt Ward had to wear. <laughs> yeah. Uh, apparently. I don't know if it's urban legend or if it's a fact, but I can't stop thinking about it now when so I watch the show. every time Dick's in that suit. I, I'm, I'm checking for the flatness, and I'm looking at Adam West thinking, I mean, this is, it's a little distracting. He could have, maybe he could have worn some dick tape. So is Burt Ward really a boy wonder? Is that what you're suggesting? No, I'm suggesting that give them both, you know, <laughs> dick tape. <laughs> no, what are you saying, Nick? That it's distracting. They should have been equally tight. Yes, yes, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> was that controversial? I don't think it's controversial. Adam West is the star of the show, so maybe he should be free <laughs> to, be, you should... know, be a bit more, you know, prominent. Trying to make him a bit more masculine than Boy Wonder. <laughs> exactly. It's Batman, not Batboy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now usually we... Are we finished talking about the episode specifically? I've got some more on Dick Jake. Really? No. I'm just <laughs> I, I'd like to talk about like the use of narration. Yeah, yes. Okay. Like, Gotham State Penitentiary, one of the state's busier locations. I think surface. for me, like, well, when I, you know, I hadn't picked it up for a long time, so I was sitting there watching it again. It was just like, it was amazing, and just to hear the show start off with narration and just go on that journey. I think you know, it just it felt to me like, could you pull off a show like this? today 
No. Or is it, is it only because it's from the 60s that we have that genre and we have that feel and that nostalgia about it? I, I think this is absolutely a show that came at the only time it possibly ever could have come along. I think you could do it if people knew that you were being funny or being having fun with it. I think yeah, you totally. could do it if it was entertaining. I would love to see that. I would love to watch that show. Yeah. Like um, Wet Hot American Summer, that show, which was originally a movie, but they'll do some traditionally 80s style storytelling. And I like that's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, I, I don't know, there's something for me, I guess, you know, reading books or, or, or plays and stuff like that, like hearing that narrator come in, it just gives a whole new level to the, to the show. Like, if yeah, there was no absolutely. narrator. It's it, amazing, it, yeah. And at one point, the narrator says, look out, Batman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> He's warning Batman. Well, the actual guy doing the narration is William Dozier, who's the executive producer of the program. And I think Nick mentioned this in last week's episode, uh, that the inspiration for it was The Untouchables. Yes. So he's very much doing a parody of what we saw in The Untouchables in the mid-60s. Are you getting any ideas for your next uh, project? Oh, I, look, I just, I'm putting narration in everything from now on. Yeah, <laughs> Clever Man season three. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, yeah. I just, I think it just is, it makes you feel like you're watching a story where, you know, I think we're, we're kind of, especially these days, is we're falling into these shows that are trying to be just so about realism that you kind of miss the excitement of shows like Batman. The series. But I mean, also because it's based on a comic book, comic books always have the information boxes yeah, the which print, crop yeah. up, particularly at the beginning of comic stories and as they establish scenes. So I mean, it makes sense you've got this narrator coming over the top, effectively replacing what you'd find with the boxes. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think um, we, we know how not well put the story is in this. So when you have the narration, it's obviously filling gaps that, you know, with the pacing or filling story arcs that aren't hitting, you know, I think it, it, it's a it's a good mechanism for this, I think. Yeah. Now we do try to get to know our guests a little bit on the show. And I guess maybe what jumps out at me initially here is when did you watch the Batman 66 show for the last time? Like how long ago has it been? Oh, look, I, I think easily would have been maybe nine, ten years ago. Like it's it interesting. Like as soon as as soon as I um, watched it again, it was like, okay, I need to sit down and start showing this to my son. Yeah. You know, like it was... How old uh, is your son? Uh, he uh, turns 11 this year, so... That's like the right age. Did you watch yeah. it with him? Uh, no, I haven't, I haven't watched it with him yet, no. Because, um, you know, I introduced him to, you know, um, the Turtles and stuff like that, you know, um, and the the old Transformer um, cartoons. So I think this is just another level that he can sort of... You know, feel the nostalgia too. Is yeah. he a big superhero guy now? Yeah, massive, massive. Yeah. Like, I, you know, did he? Well, I did he have a choice? Him, so yeah. Has, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, like we we kind of had um, this rule in our house. It was like, you know, no Thomas the Tank Engine, no Wiggles in this house, and it was just all superhero <laughs> stuff. So. <laughs> Now, you famously, when you created Clever Man, the idea was to create an indigenous superhero that your son could actually sort of look up to. Clever Man's a pretty dark TV show. It's very adults in the way it's... Yeah. Uh, has he watched it? Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. I, I, I'm, Does he I'm, understand it? Like, what's the... Yeah, I, yeah. you know, like, he's he's been on the journey all the way through with me. So, you know, I take him out to set, you know, he gets to see, like, cuts early. Like, a couple of times I've been on the phone and he's pressed play on, on um, you know, rough cuts and left notes on my board or drawn pictures of, of what I should change. So, I've long had this fantasy. He gets <laughs> yeah. final cut approval. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, the the hero is is named after my son. So it's Cohen uh, West and my son's Cohen. So. Yeah, I've long had a fantasy of. Do you know Axe Cop? 
there's this great comic book that they created about five or six years ago. And it was this guy who was a comic book artist slash writer. And he was there with his uh, brother, who was like a young kid, like seven or eight years old. This guy's like in his early 20s, a bit of an age difference. And he created this comic based on all the sort of wild fantasies that like the young kid had. So everything that this kid thought was a great idea that, you know, your partner will be a dinosaur and all this kind of thing. He wrote into this book. So the entire comic book is purely this unfiltered view of like this seven-year-old's fantasies. And they turned it into an animated series with Nick Offerman's voicing Axe Cop and it's this whole thing. But I like to think that Clever Man is very much like your son is like this really dark, twisted young kid <laughs> who's just feeding you all these ideas. No, well, I think I'm pretty open with educating my son, so especially in, in television, because like kids these days are watching YouTube that's unfiltered and they're watching people do vlogs and swearing constantly and there's nothing. So it's not like, like there's nothing he hasn't heard before or seen. Yeah. Um, and look, like when I was a kid, I remember there used to be a, a, a war show called Tour of Duty and my parents would never let me watch it. But I would always, like I knew a friend who his older brother would record it and I'd, I'd go there and watch it. Kids are going to find a way to watch that sort of stuff anyway, so I'm just happy to be there and answer the questions while he does it. Yeah. My son is uh, seven, my oldest son, and um, I watched these episodes with him. Um He's used to a different kind of Batman and a different kind of show, so he wasn't as into it. But it was a pleasure to have this family show to show him. Does he view it as the same character? I think so, but he's also, you know, he's also seen Batman try to straight up murder Superman. So I don't, I don't know if it's not getting really a consistency in message of what kind of person Batman is. Yeah, I can't really picture Adam West trying to murder George Reeve. Uh, <laughs> no. No, that would be out of character. And I can't picture Ben Affleck uh, trying to move his car in a no-parking space. <laughs> I, I just don't imagine him even acknowledging the cop. <laughs> no, uh, no. So, Ryan, who's your Batman? Who did you grow up with? As like, When you think about Batman, who is it? Uh, for me... That's a hard one because I guess for me it's always it's always the cartoons the you know the the '90s cartoon series. So you know? Batman the animated oh, series. Really? Yeah, like yeah. you know that you know that was winning Emmys and. So I I've seen a bunch of that, but I I've never it never resonated with me. Can you explain why people love that? What's what's special about that? Um, I think the I think the storytelling like it, you know it ran for series you know like so it had the opportunity to to tell a little bit of the darker side but still in this kids world. You know, so I think there was moments where you could really get to know each character. When you go and see the Batman movies, you get the origin story quickly and then you go on this journey and beats the bad guy and that's it. Um, and I think for, for everyone who, you know, read the comics and all that sort of stuff, got to go on that journey. Okay. Yeah, it also brings upon a lot of the rich history of Batman. So when you watch that animated series, they're not only drawing upon the Adam West Batman and bringing that in somewhat as well as, you know, the various sort of Tim Burton movies, which were clearly the large inspiration for it. But also in terms of like greater animation, like it really brings back to the 1940s Fleischer Superman cartoons, which I think a lot of kids have grown up with because those are the cartoons that were always available in like the bargain basement, like $2 VHS bins. So I think lots of kids have grown up with that animation style. And when Batman came along, it just kind of felt comfortable. Right. Okay. I think the writers for that series too were Batman fans. You know, like you have a look at stuff that... You know, uh, Paul Dini, for example, he's one of the writers on there. He, you know, he was he was living that Batman journey. You know what I mean? Like he was so much into that character, and um, and it sh and it shows. Okay. 
Sorry, I interrupted. You were t talking about your your relationship with the character. Yeah, look, I think for me, the, the number one thing that I like about Batman is when he's, especially in the comics, is when he doesn't have the, the cowl on. I think um, for me, I'd love to see a, a Batman movie progress to a point where it is Batman in his 50s and he's coming home and he's just wrecked and he's drinking and he's depressed. That's the Batman stories that I like. Um, you know, where you get characters like, like Dick Grayson or, or, or Jason Todd who are kind of picking up where Batman can't anymore. He's too tired to do what he's doing. That's the human side of, of the superheroes. Um, and I think that's, for me, that's that's what I get excited about, about any superhero um, story is when they're, when they're not fighting. Now you're interested in that because you were talking about growing up with the Batman animated show. As that show went on, they eventually canceled the regular Batman cartoon and created this thing called Batman Beyond. And the Bruce Wayne character in it is the older guy you're talking about, yeah. of whom has passed on the mantle of being Batman to this young kid named Terry McGuinness. And you've just got Bruce Wayne as like this older guy who's more of a mentor than yeah. anything else. Like, do you think that having grown up with, I guess, that as a inspiration has like kept you interested in that as the Batman you want? Um, I just I think like comics like the the Dark Knight and that sort of touch on that sort of thing. I, I really hope that, you know, Warner Brothers step into that world where we see uh, a Jason Todd character or, or someone like that take the take over the mantle and we get to see, I don't know, there's so many amazing old male actors out there who could play an, a, a later Batman. Um, yeah. Well, I think that with the sort of news that Ben Affleck might be stepping down, people, there's been some discussion around a, going younger, I think. And and um, somebody younger replacing him, although he said he denied the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. But um, uh, for me, I think the the him as as Batman has been the closest Batman that I feel has been right on screen so far. Oh yeah. Uh, especially in his, in the way that he fights, he's very brutalistic. Yes. He's, he's not as um, easy. Like he, he is, he's lumping around in fights instead of you know some one flying from space to space. Like it, it felt, felt like someone who was real hands-on and that's the Batman that's in the comics. He also physically looks more like Bruce Wayne than any other actor has yeah, so yeah, far. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the best Batman fight scene, even though I, it's not my favourite movie, but I, I think is in Batman vs Superman when he's taken on all the... in the loft. In, in, in his, yeah. yeah. And all those other people with guns. It's very good. Um, something I just want to talk about, because it's, you know, the opportunity to talk to you about superheroes broadly is, you know, not that common for me. The big thing we've been discussing in the office, uh, Nick Penderpiece talking about the new Spider-Man movie and how oh, it's a shame they couldn't have cast Spider-Man as being a young, you know, Latino kid or African-American or something other than just the standard white Peter Parker that we get. They're now, after me. They're after me, right? <laughs> haters are after me now. Th there was a response on the internet. Oh, man. But, I mean, just because you've played so heavily with um, race and superheroes, I was just wondering what your thoughts were if you took a character like Batman of whom is so heavily established as being a very traditional cis white guy. Like, do you think Batman ever could be portrayed realistically as anything other than just standard white guy? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think they can. But I think, again, you need to steep that in the mythology of who Batman is. So I don't think, you know, you couldn't just come in and, and that you've got a black Bruce Wayne. Mm. I think you can have a, a Bruce Wayne that's passed the mantle on to whoever this character is. And, and and make sure that that character has an amazing backstory that, you know, Bruce has. Um, I don't, th you know, I th I th we have a whole heap of black characters out there that are, you know, 
are available to be on screen and be superheroes. Um, but I, I think there's no problem for us to like delve into you know gender or race when it comes to these old superheroes. It just needs to be tied in instead of just completely replacing. Do you think it diminishes the, I guess, agency of people from a specific ethnicity if suddenly we're just replacing established white characters with, you know, like for like that way? Is it better to give people like their own characters? Like, what's the, what's your um, thoughts on that? Absolutely, it's great. You know, if we can create characters that are completely new, yeah. Which um, I mean, you have done you know, with Clever Man. Yeah, yeah. Again, I think you know, there's something exciting about that journey of seeing an old busted white man struggling, you know, billionaire struggling to get the job done each night and to hand it to a black street kid to <laughs> who doesn't have that money um, to put on the cow. You know, like it, it, as long as you can structure the story right, yeah. um, you can dive into the, the stories of, of Jason Todd and stuff like that, the other characters. Jason Todd, who was the second Robin in a comic books. Yeah, um, got murdered. Yeah. And, you know, the, you by could... The Joker. By, the, by Joker. the Joker. Not yeah. the Cesar Romero Joker, though. Not on... No, yeah, not on no. Batman no, no, no. <laughs> um, you could You could tie um, race relations around him. So, absolutely, you know, it's not like it, it hasn't been done. I just think, that, you know, could we push the envelope more? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what I, what I was thinking when I was um, working through this um, this article that I wrote was that, um, first of all, we've done, we've just kind of switched ethnicities for some characters, like the Human Torch. It was uh, Michael B. Jordan. Yep. It was, uh, was a black guy, black actor. And one of the, the Marvel executives have said that, that audiences don't go for the new characters. They're more interested in the traditional ones. And so if, if there's a black kid that becomes Batman, that wouldn't be as effective or as crowd-pleasing as just having a black Batman. And so that's that's why I was kind of proposing, let's just switch it up. Don't have to explain it. Just do it. But I, I see your point. But I mean, so what Ryan was saying as well, like the idea of Spider-Man, this goes into that Donald Glover idea where if you hear about the origins of Peter Parker as this kid growing up around Queens, these days it feels more like it's a black kid than it is like yeah, a wee sure. little white guy. Okay, I mean, uh, Ryan was saying largely that as long as it feels true to the character, like I mean, Jason Todd, like you could probably re-switch him without it really feeling like it's inconsequential. But the idea of Bruce Wayne, who's just like this really wealthy, like young white kid who, you know, goes in that path, like it doesn't quite feel right. Yeah, the, what, the only at, person yeah. that we can have is like Jay Z or, um, <laughs> you know, or. or Does Jay Z yeah. have the upper body strength to do it? <laughs> Probably. Um, no, but I just feel that there is such a, 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 a huge world in there that to, to try and unpick that, like, it, 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 it'll be a punch to the face of people. And. Let's let's be honest. As soon as you you drop racial license in there, people are going to get scared just from the bat. So you know, um, no pun intended. But if you spin it in a way that you know we can embed this character and it fits in this world, um, and we make our audience feel like it's the right person to to take on that you know that bat mantle, then our audience will will, will go to it. It's just I think once you, you you do a straight switch out, people are just going to cry. Yeah, I mean, I only suggested it, and uh, people are losing their minds. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> and it's disappointing that you know that's that's an issue. Like, I 100% agree. We, you know, it'd be great to just go and replace whoever. You know. Uh, now we're going to go on to finish this up and talk about what we've learned from Batman this week. But just before we do that, um, Clever Man, because I just think it is profoundly one of the most interesting productions currently in Australia. 
Um, do you just want to explain briefly what Clever Man is, just to give a hook to people who may not have checked it out just yet? Yeah, so um, Clever Man is a... I guess it's classified as a, as a sci-fi. Uh, for me, it's a superhero journey of um, an Aboriginal superhero in a world that's um, steeped in dreaming culture and the the fact that dreaming creatures live amongst us in today's society um, and the struggle for power within that. Yeah, and it's a bit darker edged than you'd probably just assume from like the idea of a superhero. TV yeah, show. I think so. Yeah. I, oh, I, you know, for me, that's that's like I said earlier, the darker side of superheroes is is the fun side for me. Um, you know, and look, if we're going to talk about black politics or politics in general, the superhero world is the best place to put that. Um, you know, it, it kind of waters it down for people who don't want to acknowledge it. Um, so, you know, combining the two and, and putting a whole heap of sex and violence in there, it's the best way to sell it, I think. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I'm really excited about the idea there might be a Clever Man season three. So, you know, watch the skies on that one, people. What did we learn from Batman this week? Nick? Well, you took my the lesson about uh, how music is the universal language. So the other lesson I was, that I learned was that even Batman, who's in tremendous shape, can be fat shamed. <laughs> Joker calls him fat man. The poor guy. It's terrible. You try wearing something that's that skin's high. Yeah. yeah. Joker's got a suit. It hides everything. <laughs> uh, Ryan, did you learn anything particularly from this week's Batman? Uh, for me, I guess the one thing is knowledge because... Batman's level of deduction in this is is amazing, you know. Like he <laughs> says, he's like, when well, the the first the first part is bust and podium. Oh, it must mean a museum. It's like bust and podium means a, a strip club to me. Like it's, <laughs> you know, it's, I think his knowledge of of everything and how he can quickly deduct what and where he needs to go is is amazing. Knowledge is everything. <laughs> the thing is, with any other superhero, well, any other super villain in this program, I'd assume that if you went looking for him in a strip club, you're not going to find him. Absolutely. But Cesar Romero just seems so grungy and like earthbound that maybe you'd find maybe him there as there. well. Absolutely. Yeah. Maybe not holding up the place, but you'd still find <laughs> him like later at night. Uh, the thing I learned this week is every so often we'll have a little bit of success and we want to boast about it. Maybe on Facebook have an update, which is just a little bit boasty. But I learned, no, that's not the way to approach it. Because as Batman says in this, the urge to boast is a trait of the criminal mind. Mm, yeah. Indeed. Words to live by, people. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> uh, Nick, you're on Twitter. Where do people harass you? They um, come at me at, uh, at Nick Messine. And that's B-H-A-S-I-N. Yes. Put yeah. all your Spider-Man hate towards that, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, people can find me at the Dan Barrett, but people want to be able to follow Ryan here. Ryan, where do they find you on Twitter? Uh, Ryan J Griffin at Twitter. At Twitter, and Ryan talks about superheroes a lot there. I know we were talking about Batman graphic novels the other week. So, yeah, no, yeah. I, like superheroes. You want to hear rants about superheroes? That's my that's my thing. Yep, fantastic, uh, folks. Thank you very much for listening. If you like the podcast, leave reviews on whatever podcast services like iTunes you might be listening to. Did you say where you can you can be found? I did. It was brief because people oh, don't care right. about me. Thanks for Ryan. He's okay. the main game here. <laughs> yeah. But people, please leave reviews. It helps people find the podcast. And iTunes, they like to see that people are excited about something before they put it there on the front page and make us the number one podcast in the world. But we wouldn't want to do that because then we may find ourselves boasting. And that's a trait of the criminal mind. Indeed. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back next week.